From Coney Island to St. Mark's Place. From Berlin to Alaska. From on stage at Max's to Tai Chi classes. From Lou Reed to Lou Lou. This is Talkin' Lou. Hello, I'm Jim Callahan. And I'm Paul Colantoni. And this is Talkin' Lou. This is the show where we endeavor to go through every single Lou Reed solo album. Today we are talking about Berlin. Berlin. Oh, Jim. <laughs> talking about Berlin. Uh, this is his third record. Okay. It was released October 1973 on RCA Records. He's, he's stuck with RCA. Yeah, he didn't have much of a choice in that one, unfortunately, as it turned out. <laughs> yeah, he recorded in uh, Morgan, London, and at the record plant in New York City. This was the same place uh, he recorded his uh, very first album, too. His mm-hmm. first solo record. It's uh, Back Home Again. Back Home Again, <laughs> right. Uh, it's 10 songs, clocks in at 49 minutes, 26 seconds, and it was produced by Bob Ezrin. Now, Bob Ezrin, he's worked with pretty much everybody. He's worked with Kiss, Pink Floyd, Alice Cooper, Hanoi Rocks, Deep Purple, uh, Jane's Addiction, The Jayhawks, Taylor Swift, Peter Gabriel, Kansas, The Deftones, oh. uh, Nine Inch Nails, Fish, Rod Stewart, a whole lot of heavy hitters all over the map right there. 30 Seconds to Mars he's worked with. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, did Jared Leto leave, like, condoms in the, uh, that filled with, like, whatever the hell, like, in the studio when they worked with that guy? Do you want to explain that reference? Because uh, I have because no idea what you're talking about. There's, there's this thing going around because Jared Leto is, like, like he's got problematic probably is like even too kind a euphemism to call that guy he's just but like he apparently on the set of uh suicide squad he okay. let he left like the the entire cast like a bunch of like used condoms oh god yeah just he's just gnarly dude <laughs> yeah. and he's a terrible actor i've seen morbius i think in fact this is the second episode in a row i'm mentioning the movie oh, morbius because really? <laughs> okay. uh jared harris who uh played andy warhol in the movie i shot andy warhol sure uh also ended up being in the movie morbius if you, you didn't have Morbius fever, Paul. That's the problem. <laughs> I have no idea what I, I've heard of it, but I'm not as comic book movie. Um, it's terrible. It's terrible. It doesn't matter. We'll see if I, this keeps on going on. So far, it's almost a theme. Okay. But Bob Ezrin, um, his first production work he ever did was on Alice Cooper's "Love It to Death," which is a great record. All uh, the Alice Cooper. He did "Destroyer" by Kiss, like iconic stuff. He, he uh, wrote and played the piano part on Beth. Like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he co-wrote uh, Pink Floyd's "Learning to Fly." Like I didn't know that. Yeah, he's that's got a great some. Song. He's got some uh, some classic rock. I don't want to say Pedi- heavy hitters again. Pedigree. Yeah, he's he he's been around, and yeah. like he's a major reason why this album is Berlin is like structured and uh, probably sounds as great as it does because he got like some pretty he used some Alice Cooper like musicians on right. this record on guitars especially. Yeah, yeah. it's and. Those guys ended up touring with Lou down the line, mm-hmm. but Bob Ezrin's like he—he he was a visionary. He saw something that he really wanted to try to make into like a big production, and people hated it. Yeah, well, I think it was originally way longer, but he edited it down for the sake of RCA Records because uh, they wanted a release that they could release. Yeah, he wanted it to be like double album like right. length, and there are there are definitely like songs where like I know they. They could have gone longer, especially the title track, because yeah. the title track was on the original Lou Reed record. Mm-hmm. They and, did an and, episode one, and and uh, 
the whole like chorus and like the verses are pretty much all gone. It's just like kind of like the opening gambit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's as in context of this record, as it stands now, it's actually, I actually think the edit was pretty smart. Right. And I'll get into that much later. Absolutely. I really like the way this album is like put together. It's lauded now, but it took a long, long, long time. Yeah. Decades to appreciate it. And also it's actually a good place to start because, uh, well, we were talking off mic about this just the other day, and you came at me like, I didn't like this record. Yeah, I'm not really that into it. It's how I was, you know, until I, I, I dove really deeply into it. It took a while. I think once I thought of it as a concept record and as, like, I was listening to almost like a prog rock type of album, that's when it really clicked for me. We've only done two records. It's like, and then, like, one of them, like, you didn't know at all. Right. I mean, I didn't know that record either. Right. So like we're still we're still finding our footing. So with this third album, we have a, a certified rock opera. Because when you listen to it, you could like take a pencil and a paper and like storyboard out in a comic strip the whole album. Well, basically, I, you know, the plan was like to try to make it into a movie. Mm-hmm. Like it it was a whole a whole thing, and it didn't. It started off just from Bob Ezrin giving uh, Lou the idea like to just expand on the song Berlin, right? Lou was had writer's block. More than that, he was just he was a mess going into 1973. Yeah, and uh, like Ezrin's Ezrin's uh, like a little bit of inspiration that he gave him is like I like the song Berlin. I like what these characters doing. I want to know more about the characters in that song. It evokes it evokes like a lot of a lot of feelings, a lot a lot of ideas. Tell me more about that. And then Lou just said, "Give me a month." Right, and it took awesome. more than a month, but it, it honestly, in a, in a way, it did sort of get like the creative process going. Yeah, an idea that I heard was Ezrin saying, "It's like you have so many great beginnings to these stories, but there's never any endings." Right. So, which when you think about it, you're like, "Oh yeah, that is definitely true." <laughs> but that's that's actually what's cool is because like I think one one thing I really like about Lou Reed's songs and that it, it, it's a theme that continues on like throughout his entire career is like he gives you like a little bit of a little bit of an idea of where people are landing in their life little snapshot moments right and not really casting a moral judgment on it in any way and in this record in particular it's a little more hyper focused than just say like characters and say like walk in the wild side or like right. anybody that's in like the old uh, velvet underground so these characters are there for 15 seconds yeah, yeah. Th- this and one you're, you're this one you're living with them a little close bit close to an hour with these characters but even then it's it's like you're, you're left to your own judgment about the whole thing. And it's, in a way, it's it's perfectly 1970s and, like, just sort of, like, nihilistic. Definitely. It's, and it's the kind of thing you would start seeing more in films of the era. Mm-hmm. And, and just, it was a lot of other music at the time. And it's such a foreign concept now, especially in music, where, which the, the popular narrative is just pure escapism and bubblegum, like, in the, in the, in the, in the populist thing. And this one... But really, coming off of an album like Transformer, which was a big populist record, yeah, this was like almost like Lou's first attempt at career suicide. Right, going right. into this, it's completely not fun at all. Just on the outset, and that was even my first impression of the record was like of just how I was I was taken aback of just how dour and depressing it was, and just it just and but. It grew on me. It, yeah. Like it was, what we're used to is like fun, even when there's dark subject matter. It's yeah. still a fun song. And I, and fun I, stories. 
and I sort of and and I I came into Lou Reed like sort of jumping all over era to era, and mm-hmm. and his his stuff isn't it's not all like happy and stuff. There's a lot of depressing stuff. There's a lot of dark material he dives into, but there's just something exceptionally mean in a way. It's, it's like the simplest way I could put it is just it's a there's a meanness to this record that's pretty incredible. I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy that how unique it is, straight up. So the title Berlin, um, he'd never been to the city of Berlin up to this point. Nope. Uh, he's quoted as saying, I love the idea of a divided city, you know, with the wall separating uh, Berlin, the Berlin Wall. Yeah, it's because uh, this this album is also loosely based about his uh, fracturing relationship with his wife, which uh, should we take a moment to like uh, go back and like just uh, get us all caught up? to 1973 yeah let's like, go for it all right so he meets his the the woman who become his uh, first wife uh, betty kronstad actually in the very end of uh the days of of his days in uh, the velvet underground so circa 1969 1970 like early 1970 and uh when she initially meets him she's a she's still in college and lou lou is uh he's he's getting more and more tired and disillusioned with the Velvet Underground due to like problems with the other bandmates and management in particular. Mm-hmm. But and Betty is uh she's she's well off. She's got money. She had like a penthouse apartment in fact, but she's also very involved in the cause of the era which would have been Vietnam. Right. And uh she was uh planning on like going to Europe to like a uh, protest at like a like the Par- in Paris try to appeal for peace. And uh, Lou Lou asked her out on one one date, which apparently she was like completely unimpressed that she was that he was even in the Velvet Underground. Right. It, it was the date was him just being getting drunk during dinner and then just like rambling on about his problems. And then uh, he walked her home the second night and didn't see her for better part of six months. And uh, by the time he saw her again, he, the Velvet Underground had broken up. And then suddenly. She she thought, uh, oh, I can talk to this guy now, <laughs> and he had been hum- he'd been humbled at that point, and uh, they their relationship like started from there, and she was there when he like was working as a typist for for that, that whole time on Long and, Island uh, right? on Long Island for his for his dad, and uh, he was quietly writing songs and playing for the, for, her. and then when he uh, went over to England to record the demos and then ultimately the first what would become his first album she was there with him the whole time she was there through the entire writing of the transformer record mm-hmm. and really a couple like the really the major like a object of affection in a lot of those like early like love songs it's all for betty right and uh going into 1972 to 1973 transformer starts becoming a big success Lou's becoming a bigger success and they decide to get married in January of 73 at Lou's apartment. They cram a bunch of people in there and it should have been a happier affair, but it's kind of anything but like almost immediately. Really? Yeah. It, the, the tension was almost like immediate because at this point, like Lou starts living off of a diet of scotch and speed. Mm. It, he's exhausted. He's got the record label is hailing his, uh, the, the Transformer album as like a big comeback. Like, remember the Velvet Underground? Like, this guy, this guy's the real deal. There's a whole like counter campaign because uh, Lou is like already getting like rumors that he's just he's just gay outright, and then like there, there's like negative 
publicity about about just his character and the performances he's doing on stage Mm -hmm. in like the makeup and drag and the song like everything with walk on the wild side so a few critics the worst of which would have been lester bangs basically look as at betty his wife as nothing more than like either beard just kind of like a cover for his homosexuality or that he was he's playing up the idea of being gay and then none of it's real to begin with that he's just a complete this is all an act yeah one way or the other yeah Yeah. and it's it's completely vicious you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's the worst kind of like journalism just reading some of this stuff it's stuff that would never fly today but 50 years ago like really I guess in some circles, even today, like people just eat that up. It's just, it's all in the comment section of the internet. Yeah, and Lester Bangs is known as this like critic's critic at the time, and he knew all the right people. And, uh, well, have you ever listened to any of the, the seven inches he's released? <laughs> not not so great, man. I, it's just I, not you, the best music I've I, ever I only know it by you know? reputation. Right, right. <laughs> I've well, never actually, actually bought he, it. He did a release on Orc Records. We have a poster right here. Okay. Uh, in the room we're recording in. But yeah, he had a release. It's actually on that. Ah, okay. Uh, I can see it. There, four LP set. There's a there's a which photo I in a photo of, right. of, of that thing. I, I was always curious about that. Anyway, Lou's uh, band, it, we, you mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago, and the first one uh, is the Tots. And they are, that their story is, could actually be a movie unto itself because yeah. they're like, Lou uh, hires them in April of 72 when they're not even out of high school yet. They're these kids from Yonkers. And he, and he like tells them just play Velvet Underground songs, play uh, and then he, and he teaches them some of the new songs, and then right. that becomes his his uh, backing band, his touring band, his touring yeah. band through the whole thing. Not they they aren't studio material, right? But like they're the guys that are with him through the whole the whole like run of the the, the original tour with Bowie back in over in England, and then the big uh, comeback, Hail to the Conquering Hero sort of shows that he plays like in America. Right. Especially in like New York City in January, but by February, the the record label is already breathing down Lou's neck. Give us another album immediately. Let's give us Transformer Part Two. Yeah. yeah, and Lou, although he was like he's he's deflecting from the critics, he's and he's trying to deflect from the record label, and but the stress, the strain, and just on top of like the drug use, the drinking, it it sort of st- stretches him a little thin and. He's already like kind of an ornery person. He's, his personality is as such. But then mix all this together and he becomes like a very volatile and rot, rotten person, particularly to his wife. Yeah. And his wife, by the way, uh, is with him throughout this entire tour, trying to, be, trying to play mother and like consoler throughout this entire thing. And then she's even doing the light show. On, on, okay, on, I didn't yeah. hear that. Yeah. The uh, crew, interestingly enough, cares that she, what she's doing because she knows all the songs. Right. And they make sure she gets paid for this. Lou is so is completely just checked out. He just uh, he just doesn't get. Well, a even shit. just getting him on the stage clean enough to perform. It's a whole thing. It's like uh, uh, more than a tour manager's job should. Yeah. Be, you know. Yeah, and and she's uh, she's uh, trying to like just like at every turn just like reassure him, reassure him. And then eventually he starts throwing punches. One of them lands her square in the eye, and to her eternal credit, she like composes herself and then slugs him right back. Right. And then the next day they both they both come downstairs from their hotel that they were in at the time, and they both have black eyes. But that that, that kind of like volatile like relationship they have is part of the major fuel to this record Berlin, 
which is something that like when he talks about in the song, particularly Carolyn says to, why do you beat me? Oh, he probably did this shit. Yeah. It, like it always, it always rang true. Like that there's probably some truth to this. Well, and I have sure a longer enough, quote from Betty, which says, no, go for it. Uh, Lou would become abusive on our last U S tour. Uh, when I got him to the stage as clean as I could, he gave me a black eye the second time he hit me. Yeah. Then I gave him a black eye too. And that stopped him from using his fists. But everybody knew he was abusive, abusive with his drinking, his drugs, his emotions, and with me. He was incredibly self-destructive then. Yeah, he was just not a good person. Just straight up. There's no there's no excusing it. There's no there's no getting around it. And it's tough devoting a whole podcast to somebody who can be a musical hero when they've done such horrifying things. I think though why why it's like good to hit this point so hard like so early on and be and just be unequivocally uh clear about like just that we're not claiming this is in any way shape or form cool right is that on a long enough timeline i do believe there is a that people can change and that like people can become different I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not for, for me or you, Paul, mm-hmm. to like forgive this or anybody out there listening. It would be up to squarely Betty, Betty to do that. And I'm not speaking for her at all in, in that regard. Right. But I will say that going forward and definitely down the line, the man Lou is at the end of his life is certainly not the guy he is at 31 yeah, years old. Yeah, not even close. It's, and like, because that guy was going to die. It's like, it's the fact that Lou makes it to 71 just from like the amount of drugs he did alone is like a small miracle. Incredible. Yeah. But like the I know from the way the tone of his music, the way he is in interviews, the way just the just everything about his composure, the songwriting, everything, he he definitely is not the same guy. And I think what's great about this podcast is we get to see that slow progression right. from of the way he is in different eras. Going into the eighties, he's a different he's a different man even. The seventies, he's kind of all over the place. He's I think he's at his absolute worst right here. And he has other little lows here and there, but there's like, you know, creatively it's like you can say whatever you want. But like personally, I think this is probably as as rotten as he gets. Yeah. So but at the same time, perfect people don't make kind of weird, imperfect art. And I hate to say be like Respect the art, not the artist. But this is the kind of thing where it's like a good thing came out of a bad situation. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I, it would be boring to like, you can pick any other fucking like idiot that's, that like uh, has like a long career that's like, it's not going to be half as interesting as right. I'm Right. And say. that time period too. I mean, uh, the, the biggest stars today of classic rock radio all did horrifying things to women yeah and it just doesn't get talked about because frankly they didn't sing about it yeah and like their lyrics are garbage that lou like wore his heart on his sleeve and like the lyrics are plain as day they're they cut you like a knife some of them yeah and that's that's what's always been appealing to me it's there's like there's very little subterfuge and then like there's even poetry in the way he's like describing it that this this album is a thinly veiled love and hate letter in a lot of ways, and but that's kind of what's makes it so remarkable and unique. It's just you don't see this all the time. Ezrin, I think, also was just really good at bringing that out in people because Pink Floyd, The Wall, is like a really hateful record when you when it gets right down to it. But like sure. it leaves on a sort of like a weird redemption arc that people I don't think really think about because maybe they're just only listening to Another Brick in the Wall Part Two. 
and that's all they ever take with them. Right. Or right. like the song Hey You, which is kind of like an upbeat redemption song in the middle of like or an otherwise depressing record. I don't know, but Ezrin like really like leaned into like just how raw Lou could be and and Lou to his credit wrote something like completely uncompromising. And it's that's what I like best about the guy. It's like even when he's like this terrible of a person, he still like his art is like sort of never been better. And although it took a long people for a long time for people to appreciate that, and maybe people still don't to some degree. Like, but I, it's the record that going forward, when like his popularity and his legend goes goes through in the seventies, like more and more people will like walk up to him and say that was the best one, the Berlin record. Yeah, I, and and Lou didn't that. listen to the album for years after its release. And there's a quote from him saying. I don't think anybody is anybody else's moral compass. Maybe listening to my music is not the best idea if you live a very constricted life. Maybe they should sticker my albums and say, stay away if you have no moral compass. <laughs> and he also said this album is the one that almost sunk the ship. Yeah, and he'll he'll uh, get other chances to do that down the line. Don't, <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> um, just to go back to the personnel on the album, sure. we have yeah Bob Ezrin as producer. He also played piano and Mellotron. We have Steve Hunter, who played guitar. He uh, was in Alice Cooper's band, along with Dick Wagner, who's on this record. Yeah, and they're, uh, they're virtuosos. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't say that lightly. Yeah, they are remarkable. Steve Hunter, he did the first solo in Aerosmith's Train Kept a Rolling, and he wrote the whole intro to Sweet Jane that's on Rock and Roll Animal, the live record. Right. Uh, we have Jack Bruce from Cream playing bass, oh. which is pretty amazing. Uh, and then, let me pronounce this right, Anstey Dunbar is a session drummer, but was in a bunch of bands and is actually in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Journey. Very Keith Moon sounding on this record. We have Steve Winwood. Yeah, that's, that's Steve, Steve Winwood. Winwood. I couldn't believe it. He I, played organ and harmonium. I don't think I re- ever really looked at like the uh, album credits for this one. In fact, it's probably safe to say there's a lot of album credits that are going to be straight up surprising to me going yeah. forward with a few exceptions. Well, like, Anthony Levin played drums on a couple tracks uh, and he's been in King Crimson since 1981. I didn't know that either. And wow. then we had Jim Reeves uh, working as an engineer. Uh, and then with the album cover, uh, it was done by a company called Pacific Eye and Ear. You'll notice that it looks similar because they also did uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic and Rocks, Billion Dollar Babies by Alice Cooper, Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper, and a ton of other ones. When you see especially uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and what the cover looks like, you can tell it's the same artist and artistic group. That guy just like was a working in the 70s man just, yeah, just yeah, awesome iconic <laughs> releases yeah that's great for an artist um yeah. the singles off this record there was two uh the first one was how do you think it feels back with lady day and the second was caroline says one back with caroline size two Makes caroline sense. hey caroline caroline <laughs> no not you caroline too <laughs> i mean this there's something uh I, this is just nitpicking and this is just me but nah, that's do what we're ever, here for uh, right do you ever just like this is like with font and just like the uh, Roman numeral one and two, but it looks like an I. Yeah. And like, how many times in your like Caroline adult I, life, Caroline just like I, an I, I, but just like that's like everywhere. Just whenever I just see one Elizabeth, Elizabeth I, Elizabeth, it's like, oh, when you're doing Queen research Elizabeth online I. too, none of it's handwritten, it's all types. So yeah, it's, like, it's uh, and, oh my god, it's just it's frustrating as shit. Uh, it's it's just my problem. This is my problem, folks. <laughs> like, it's, but I, I had to be honest about it. <laughs> but uh, some uh, some of the underground press really dug the record and really got what he was trying to do. 
but a lot of the mainstream press just destroyed it. Rolling Stone magazine called it a disaster. Cream magazine called it lousy. Uh, but it did reach number seven on the UK charts and number 98 in the US. And then, you know, the famous Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time, many years later, it was ranked 344. Oh, no. I can't believe it got in there. Yeah. And over time, Carolyn Says 2 was covered by the Soft Boys and later by Susie Sue. That actually I have to hear. I didn't realize Susie Sue and the Banshees did it. That's awesome. Oh, but Berlin is the title. I mean, having this divided city, it's just the perfect metaphor. Well, it's an interesting metaphor for a split couple. You know, you have like this political and relationship imagery in the same album, uh, in the same song at times. The year is 1973. Nixon starts his second term in January by de-escalating the war in Vietnam in exchange for POWs. This is interesting because literally the month before he and Henry Kissinger committed what is known as the uh, Christmas bombing campaign in North Vietnam, but it manages to work for them and uh, a lot of POWs get sent home. Uh, The Watergate scandal, on the other hand, uh, keeps on snowballing and the hearings start airing on TV all the time. Uh, Roe v. Wade is uh, passed this year, but it it has now uh, died in the year of 2022. Uh, a cancer similar to Lou Reed, but uh, this one was a uh, cancer of the fascist. Oh man! Uh, the first nine eleven, I would call it. Uh, there was a Nixon-approved and CIA-backed right-wing coup that took place in Chile, installing General Pinochet as a dictator and re- mm. replacing a socialist government, killing and torturing thousands of people in the process. Uh, there's a pretty good movie called Missing from the early '80s with Sissy Spacek and uh, Jack Lemmon. Okay, highly recommend it. New York City in 1973. John Lindsay's in his final year uh, as mayor, wrapping up his tenure on December 31st. There's a mayoral race, and it's between Democrat Comptroller Abraham Beam over Republican State Senator John J. Marchi, and uh, the Abraham Beam wins, and so he will be mayor going to the next year. A really uh, crazy thing happened. In Staten Island, there was a gas explosion in February at the Texas Eastern Transmission Pipeline that was storing liquefied natural gas. And it was a tank that there that was supposedly emptied mm. like like nearly a year earlier. Evidently not, because something inside it ignited on February 10th. And uh, 40 workers ultimately died oh. in, in like a horrible fire. Completely preventable because uh, the Staten Island residents... Uh, brought their concerns to the Tex- this uh, Texas Eastern Transmission Pipeline up to the day before the fucking accident, and they were uh, dismissed as hysterical. Yeah. This led to, like, all sorts of lawsuits. John Lindsay, to his credit, like, had their back on this. Well, but... the, the neighbors of this plant probably, like, smelled natural gas oh, yeah. coming out. They, well, they, oh, you're crazy. It, like... it led to, like, a whole... Uh, I. I could have dived in this further. It was just so depress, such a depressing story. But it yeah. did lead to like newer regulations. Like one of the biggest one was like it doesn't sound like much. It's like the amount of like the size of the uh, like canisters, the oil drums. Okay. Like apparently they were like extravagantly large. They had mm-hmm. they were forced to like narrow the size of them in, for for safety purposes. One of the craziest stories that sadly fifty years on like still is like as true as ever. There's a 10-year-old uh, black kid named uh, Clifford Glover that was shot by an undercover cop. 
And the way it went down was the cops were looking for robbery suspects. And this, this kid Clifford and his dad were walking through the neighborhood and two men run up on them in the dark. And so his dad and, and the little boy start running. The cops shoot after him and they shoot the kid in the back. And the kid is dying in the back of an ambulance. And it, evidently his last words to the cops when they start asking him questions were, fuck you, you're not taking me. That's like the last thing he said. And the cop that shot him was a guy named Shay, and he was charged with murder. But then a year later, of course, he was acquitted. Right. And that led to a riot, which I'll get into next time. But uh, other good albums of this year that I liked, uh, I'll just say off the top of my head, uh, Roxy Music, For Your Pleasure. Nice. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, and then a, a couple big movies, uh, Mean Streets, oh, yeah. featuring like a breakout performance from Robert De Niro. The, I believe there's a movie called The Seven Ups that came out this year that's really, really good. Okay. That's filmed in New York. You get to see like New York as gritty and shitty as it ever was. And another movie that's set in Washington, D.C., but filmed in New York was The Exorcist, which comes out late that year. Oh, okay. Really cool movie. And important down the line in a couple albums. I'll explain why. Yeah. Well, this is an album um, from 1973 that is really, the subject matter is very gruesome at times. I mean, you have a woman slitting a wrist in the bed that her kids were conceived in that were just taking away. And that's only part of the story. Yeah, it's like, it's, it, it's two people that are clearly, like, just a mess. Maybe they're, they're, they're not dr- right for each other. Yeah, they're drug addicts. Like, you know, the, the opening song suggests, like, uh, it's, like, romantic. Right. It's, like, things things are good. But there is, like, a sinister, like, thing right from Jump Street. because from the like, whole record. Yeah, and, yes, like, that's sinister. also, I another thing I just uh, occurred to me is, like, the, the album opens with Happy Birthday, which... Right. Those uh the scumbags that opened that song for like way too long, they probably had to pay them like an arm and a leg alone out of the budget just to get the rights to that that stupid song. Least yeah, favorite well, uh, song. Gene Simmons didn't own rights to that back then, I guess, right? No, no, I guess. Or is that just a rumor that he owns Happy Birthday? If I'm he does, sure. I don't know. I know he owns the rights to OJ, that the that or the the acronym. I don't know, acronym for orange the, juice the, just for orange juice that just the the saying like uh just the just the letters o and j like in the concept of orange juice that was a thing like 15 years ago i heard oh, man <laughs> i have no idea if that's accurate <laughs> yeah well i mean that this record did receive criticism at the time for its violent subject matter but lou said you know people don't get upset about all the violence in othello and things like that yeah and then rolling stone reviewer stephen davis he wrote Reed's only excuse for this kind of performance, which isn't really performed as much as spoken and shouted over Bob Ezrin's limp production, can only be that this was his last shot at a once promising career. Goodbye, Lou. It's like, man, the that mainstream is, really They are just this. so dismissive. Yeah. And, I, and it's a thing that's that's really striking how quickly they'll turn on things. And, and it's, but at the same time, it's interesting, but maybe not surprising entirely when you really zoom out and think about it. You think about like a new act in our lifetime, like right. some bands that like have gotten big. We're not even just ba- just any like musical artist. Sometimes like they just come out of nowhere and they really strike a chord with people. And right. then there's this is like to most people, even though this is the third record, this is like the second one that anybody's paying attention to. So to all for all intents and purposes, this seems like a sophomore slump. And like he was already now he's officially just a one hit wonder. In their eyes, yeah, because he does something adventurous. And, yeah, you know, and and it's it's it, an album that has a lot of mood swings to it and stuff. And it, it, it a lot a lot of rec- and like I hate myself 
for bringing up this band, but I'm going to anyway. It's okay. Weezer's second record. Now, I yeah. hate that band. Panned by all but the like, critics, right? I do remember just like, because like Weezer had like maybe 10 tracks on that first record and eight of them were singles. Yeah, it just like they was... were everywhere. And they're still everywhere. But I remember Pinkerton came out and every, every critic and, every, and seemingly everyone was just like, the fuck is this shit? And they were they were so maligned. I think it broke up the band. It seemed like for like five years. Right. And unfortunately, it didn't stay broken up. Like uh, as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, I don't. But it is it. like a thing that we're like give us give us what we want again and again. And right. Weezer's, well, that first one you had yeah. is, uh, produced by Rick Ocasek, and it sounds like it. It's yeah. Like, oh, this is like the cars of our generation. I, I can like aesthetically like power pop genius and, and some tracks, sure. I can understand aesthetically why that first record works the way it does. I mean, even though I'm burnout, long burnout yeah, on it, yeah. and like if I ever liked anything on it, it's I pretty much don't now. It's and I'm just tired of that band. I I couldn't give a shit. But like, I but, want a girl <laughs> that will laugh for no one. But it, I just bring them up as an example of just like everybody, like people have come back around on Pinkerton. Oh, big time! That, that yeah. like and say like, all right, well that was the secret album that was actually really really good. It took maybe a decade, but then like the, uh, you know, maybe like the indie critics and stuff. It's like top 10 reasons why Pinkerton's the best album of yeah. the 90s, you know. And like, it, it, it may have helped that they went away and then came back. Sure. But they've done, but they do that to people. They, they they will do them dirty like the first chance they get. There's there's a lot lot of bands like that like, that like oh, you didn't, you, you fucked up. Ah, you fucked up. You didn't do it. You didn't do it the right way this time. And with, I think there's an extra amount of meanness given the era with Berlin when that comes out. Then the critics are just more unfiltered than yeah. they ever would be today. So many, like, Jawbreakers, Dear You was, like, it was hated by the underground. It was yeah. hated by the mainstream. It was hated by everyone. Then, maybe a decade later, it's this genius thing. I just went and saw them before the whole album uh, in Philly a couple weeks ago, and everybody was having such a great time. This is something that everybody hated when I was 14 years old or whatever. I mean, like, on a long enough timeline, you can become the hero or the villain. I don't know. It's like, I'm butchering that Batman quote right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, it's a, it's true. And I, I, well, in the case of Lou Reed, he does start off more or less as a villain, like we were saying earlier. It's, he, he kind of becomes a little more heroic toward the end. But right. in the right here and now of 1973... People aren't that people at least critically aren't having it, and maybe not even the and clearly not like in the uh, as far as people buying the album either because it it doesn't sell very well. Oh, honey, it was not paradise. <laughs> Sorry, we'll cut that. No, leave it in. <laughs> the eight track and cassette releases had an extra track of just piano music in between. Oh, it was not on vinyl or CD or. Digital. I've never heard that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, like eight tracks had to be certain lengths on each. On your side. Well, we flip it, forward. I, I, I don't even know how eight tracks work, I'll be honest. I've never used them. Basically, it's like four sides uh, with two with a left and a right, you know, and each, so it's eight tracks. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. It's four right programs. There, right there in the name. I've, I've never <laughs> used the eight track before. <laughs> Man, well, if you want to listen to some eight tracks, All we right. can do that in here. <laughs> So in previous episodes, we talked about each song kind of individually, and we're going to do that here, but musically, it's kind of difficult to do, because this kind of is like one long song. It's one long story, uh, as we said. It's kind of like a rock opera. Uh, so most of it, it's acoustic guitar. There are electric guitar solos scattered throughout, a lot of piano, 
uh, drums and bass. Yeah, and then some string arrangements here and there, and some horns. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually it's in line with some of the other uh, albums Ezra was producing for Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. especially at the time. And then and then conceptually speaking, it's it's way in line with Pink Floyd's The Wall in terms of like how how he builds a record, the, like a story, a beginning, middle, and end that. After over the course of a few lessons, it's pre, it's pretty mostly pretty clear what what the story is about. Right. There might be details that are fuzzy here and there, and I think if there's still any details that are fuzzy to me, it would have been stuff that would have been clear if they had ever turned Berlin into a movie, like they were thinking about doing it. Yeah, first. it would be dark and unnerving and weird, just like and the it, wall. And it would have been wall made, the album, the wall, the movie. It would have been made in like 74, 75 and it would have been perfect. It would be on the Criterion channel right now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and so, I would love it. But unfortunately that never came to be. So we'll do a version of track by track. Uh, track number one is called Berlin and it serves as the intro. It's kind of describing bits, little bits of the relationship and it's, it seems happy, you know, in Berlin, it was very nice. It was paradise. And they're hanging out in a cafe with candlelight. and uh, Dubonnet on ice. Dubonnet on ice, which was um, is a fortified wine popular in the 60s. I'm glad you looked that up because yeah. I neglected to do that. There's, <laughs> there's a couple of things I, 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 looked, I cared to look up this time. This one is... Because this is the same song that was on the very first Lou Reed record. Right, episode but, one. But this one, I think, for time, they truncated it. But also for purposes of the album, it makes sense why it's it is the way it is because right. by just having like the opening verse, which is basically all this version is, just and and also mostly a piano arrangement too. If it cut to the chorus, which is "You're right and I'm wrong," you know I'm gonna miss you now that you're gone. One sweet day, that would have given away the game early, right? But also it also sort of uh, screws up what the the narrative of the story is in the way the narrator the narrator of jim anyway because this is about the characters jim and caroline and the perspectives alter from song to song right by just keeping it as this nice little chill moment right at the beginning it sets things up right like it's a couple in love they're in west berlin at the time when the berlin wall was still a thing yeah right by the wall in a yeah. cafe it's a nice romantic image this is where Bob Ezrin heard the song the first time as it originally was and said, told Lou, as we were saying earlier, this like, tell me more of this story. And that's where the story picks up and it gets in and it gets real dark real fast. Yeah, because he had had all these characters and like, well, what happened to... Yeah, what happened happened to this person, this person, that person. Uh, But the pianos are really haunting in this too. So it's kind of like foreshadowing that even though things are nice now, things are about to sour, uh, to say the least. Yeah, it's, it's creepy. It's it's really creepy. Like, I, the more I listen to this record, the more vivid it is in my mind. Yeah. Of just like, of just how horrible it is. And this is, as we'll get to, we'll get into it. But this is one of the most ugly records I've ever heard. Beautifully done. Right. Absolutely. Expertly done. Yeah. There uh, it especially is. all the editing when we looked it up and found out it was so much longer and it was edited together. Yeah, like this and is the short version. At I, about I didn't 50 even minutes, yeah. I didn't even realize like they could have had like a crazy director's cut. But what they what they uh, what they put together the way it's the way it's cut together it's it's pretty perfect. So kudos to Bob Ezra, and I think all the credit in the world goes to that guy definitely for making this happen the way it does. And for track two, uh, I was entitled "Lady Day." This was uh, Billy Holiday's nickname. 
So, and she, just like the character of Caroline, she was also into drugs and also a bar singer. Really sad story with Billie Holiday. Yeah. That, like, look it up. The FBI fucked her over good. Mm-hmm. Like, back in the day. Just awful, awful shit. Yeah, there's a good episode of... I know Wondery did a pretty good one. Okay. Disgraceland just did, a, I think, one or two... One or two episodes in Billy Holiday. Oh, and, yeah, I, I did hear the Disgraceland one. And I like a lot of what he does. Sometimes he takes artistic license and puts words. Right. How would you ever know that she said that type of thing? But it's very entertaining. Yeah. And the Billy Holiday episode is uh, it's heartbreaking, but it's you know it's informative and entertaining as well. Yeah. So Lady Day, because um, they talk about Caroline like looking down at her shoes and, and walking down the street kind of, kind of childlike almost and yeah. very shy. Yeah, she's checked out. And it's like as you as the story goes on, you realize that she and her and her man are speed freaks, right? Like that they, they and and, and, and drugs, yeah. and she's a prostitute, right? So like and so like it seems like going into the bar is like where she's having a good time, right. and like she gets to be like you know like sing her troubles away and everything's great. Like but then, singing while standing on the bar, yeah, specifically says, and, and that goes into the first verse, like of like a. The, the verse the first chorus for chorus of the song like and then but right after that it goes after the applause had died down and the people had drifted away she climbed down off the bar and went out the door to the hotel that she called home it had greenish walls a bathroom in the hall it, it, just right there yeah <laughs> she lives in a dump public like... public toilet that's it's not great yeah <laughs> It's that's this song. Yeah, I had the same exact notes yeah. written down here. Hotel green, greenish walls, greenish not green. Walls. Yeah, you're right. Like they I, were green at one point. Yeah, I'm like just I'm, greenish. I'm looking at the lyrics as we're going through it, and I, right. I somehow just missed greenish. You're greenish, absolutely right. Yeah. Bathroom in the hall. Yeah, it's not always the the you know, not always the best. The, one of my favorite bars, your yours and mine, like uh like uh was a was a bar and also like kind of a transient hotel. That, oh that yeah, had a communal to- communal toilet. I miss that place less and less. The communal toilet, it's a place where you wash your hands in the men's room and they just get dirtier in the sink. Like, <laughs> why am I even so. doing this? You gotta, like, kick the door open, kick the door closed, kick the toilet flush, you know? It's like, I'm not touching anything in here. Yeah, R.I.P.D., the pick. Yeah. I miss that place less and less as time has gone on. Uh, I, I, I think I romanticized the past, but yeah. I'm digressing. Well, I played a lot of gigs there and stuff, but it's like, yeah, I think it had some greenish... Carpets yeah. and greenish walls going on. Another thing, I think I'm, it had a greenish ceiling. Yeah, or was it, it the walls? Well, you know what was all over the wall? Literally, was green dollar bills. Oh right, that's probably why. Because yeah, like, everybody in this uh, this bar that Paul and I uh, love so much, uh, for whatever reason, uh, it became a tradition for everybody to like take a dollar bill, like tag it up with whatever, and then just tape it onto the wall. And I think by the time the place closed down, it was like something like a thousand dollars or more there was a lot of there's a lot of yeah, a lot yeah. of singles up there they, and they were everywhere mm-hmm. they were just all over the place one other thing about uh this song i just want to i just want to hit like uh how much i like the horns yeah on on this on this track which maybe like kind of it serves as a reference to billy holiday and like the vocal jazz era and all that yeah and it's it when it when it's performed live, you don't get the quite the same effect. The live version of the song's pretty great, but like just on record, like the 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 horns and the strings, everything on this record, right here from this first first uh, real song on the album, you get to you get to know what you're in for. It's mm-hmm. pretty great. 
Track three, uh, Men of Good Fortune is the title, and it's just another great rich versus poor song. Maybe not versus against each other, but it's a tr- rich it's, and poor song. It's a truism. It's yeah. that this is one it's uh also by the way, this is like the first that Lady Day is Carolyn, and then Men of Good Fortune is the character of Jim, or like I just wanna like go back and forth with this one. But mm-hmm. yeah, he the character is is talking about things that were as true back in 73 as they are in 2022 yeah, and and long before then lo- long before the 70s it's just it's the same as it's always been it's the rich have all the power they have all the money they they there's the key line is like it takes money to make money they say right. look at the but look at the fords didn't they start that way but the one thing that like gives away like it keeps this song, I think, from really being an anthem for like the working class, because then it just he just drifts off and goes. Anyway, it makes no difference to me. Yeah, cause it's that's Jim, right? He's yeah, just so nihilistic and and just yeah. apathetic about everything. And we also have to say the character of Jim, not Jim Callahan. Although I probably oh, right. I probably <laughs> relate to some of this quite a bit. <laughs> not all of it, but like just the nihilism, the and the the defeat, and everything. I I, I get it. Yeah, yeah but some of these lyrics could be in like. Um, you know, later, like, folk punk or political punk type yeah. of stuff. Like, the rich son waits for his father to die, the poor just drink and cry. Uh-huh. This whole rich, poor, you know, the unfairness of capitalism I is, mean, right alive in the song. And then what What song was, like, big in the charts around this time uh, that it's used in every goddamn Vietnam movie ever? It's, uh... Some folks are Oh, the fortunate son. Yeah. There we go. Did not hear that one coming. I'm like, what is he talking? Incense and peppermints? What is I, I'm doing my like harsh, awful impression of that. There's song. a bunch of songs that are in every I am, war movie. I'm so tired of that. This song. is the end. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, but you know the the fucking uh, what, what's what's his name. The, why am I, why am I blanking John this? Fogarty? John, the Fogarty's like the, the yeah. It's Creed. the Creed. Credence, man. The Credence, of course. But like, it, yeah. Fortunate Son, yeah. But yeah, Fortunate Son, it still gets played all the time. It's it's the boomer anthem for the who, the hippie boomer anthem. I yeah, they say. fire the cannon, you, man. <laughs> so something like that. I don't, I'm not going to look up Credence. I'm not going to look up Credence either, but, nah. this, but because this song is like dark and defeated. It's like it's again right away the A and R people are like oh god damn it you can't even give us a fucking single here yes yeah, like right away this this would have been because this would make a great single and it it, it may have been like check notes check notes uh, but like it's it's a great song it's it's just it's one of the, it's a classic song it works on its own independent of the of the album and it's almost one where like I'm surprised that he even uh, made it onto the record because it's very thin. Con- uh, connective tissue yeah, I was to the rest of the say story. The same thing, yeah. But I'll I'll take it as like if I'm gonna like really play like armchair psychologist and I think I'm gonna do that a little bit as we talk about these songs. To me it gives a perspective of the character of Jim where this guy goes through life kinda checked out and way too into his girlfriend and then it just takes a turn. Right. And he's clearly upset by a lot of things, but not really making any major changes and then just sticking to a lot of bad habits. Sure. And he's not wrong about anything he's saying here in this song about how, like, the men of poor beginnings can often do anything, like, or men of fortune can often, very often can't do a thing. I'm switching around, like, the order of those lyrics there, yeah. but it's the same, it's the same idea. 
That makes you think of just yeah. poor being more handy with things, being able to do just simple tasks. Just being out in the can. world and like living their life, mm-hmm. but the rich, like you know, they don't have to really live. And it can be isolated. Yeah, you know, it's to it's the a, suburbs that kind of thing. Yeah, it's its own sort of hell. One of the uh, just struck me just now, like one of the saddest, cruelest uh, bits of like irony for someone like, let's just say Melania Trump. Uh, she had an Instagram account that was okay. like almost all like photos of her like taking photos from outside of windows photos from like inside a car but you're looking through a car window like looking looking out outside from like a a skyscraper you know skyscraper window that i mean she's in her own little weird prison do i have much sympathy for no but at the same time it's if you really break it down on a human level that's 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 its own kind of like weird sad hell sure you know but, you know, same time, you know, fuck her, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do not cut that out. Track four. <laughs> Caroline says one. Now, this was a Velvet Underground song originally, correct? Uh, there was the, the Caroline. I said, know that two was. Caroline but... says two was Sef- Stephanie says that there may have been versions like a like like a demo version of this song a little bit. Okay. There's there's so many demos that honestly they they get a little uh, tied up with me, like off the top. I I really think that clearly the final result is a it's its own original thing. Right. Okay. So track four, Caroline says one. Um, this is where, I mean, Nico has claimed that Caroline is really about her and based on her, uh, while Lou has denied it in the press. I mean, there's is this the song. Yeah, this this one like like uh, the still she is my Germanic queen. Yeah, uh, it's it's a th- because it, Nico was German. Yeah, and uh, Betty also Betty Lou's uh, first wife like also suspected that at least in part that some of this record was like Lou dealing with his feelings for Nico that he had right because the two of them had hooked up briefly while Nico was in the band mm-hmm. The Velvet Underground for the very first re- first album the, which was called The Velvet Underground and Nico and then she sort of. She wandered into the band and then she wandered out. Is how it was uh, put on the uh, on the uh, Velvet Underground documentary. Right. I, I also called her the Iceberg. Yeah. Because everybody's dressed in black, while she's you know just dressed completely in white. And then also that also speaks to the, uh, the the line that comes later in Caroline says too that right. like all of her friends call her Alaska. It's so cold in Alaska. Yeah. yeah. So and so yeah, and it very well could be Nico. They, I think he's speaking this album like uh, the the. Caroline is a composite of Betty and Nico. Yeah, there's least, nothing about songwriting that says that you know, it has to be influenced by one no, former and, partner. And then or, th- this this record, the the songs that they come from a lot of little different things. It's mm-hmm. there's a lot of tr- truth to like Lou's disintegrating marriage that like bleeds through into this album, but there's there's influence from all over, basically like all all sorts of stories, just and just his own like. Mental health that's just deteriorating right. at this point. Now, you have the lyrics for this right there? I do. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite rhymes of the entire record is him rhyming vile with vile. <laughs> that's pretty good. Like the generals oh, gathered yes. in their masses, just like, which is like black masses. Like, just like, a po- just like, and just like poison in a vial. Hey, she often was very vile. That is, it is a pretty good use of that. I that, used to make fun of that, like Jim Morrison rhyming fire with fire, and Ozzy Osbourne rhyming masses with masses. But 
it's I've grown to like that kind of thing over time. It's a clever little Well, this one I think device. it counts. It counts because yeah. it's it's two, two different words. Two different words just they Spelled they're just even. synonyms or is that am I saying that right? Homonyms. 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 Right. Sorry English class teachers eh. everywhere. Yeah, it th- this song's great. This is a uh, this is where like Jim is like I'm being abused by this woman. I'm like madly in love with her and I'm trying to like ignore like all the put downs she's given to me all the time. I I I, th- I think she's kind of a bitch is basically the 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 gist of the song, but she's still my Germanic queen. Yeah, everything's great. Everything's yeah, cool. There's a lot of that. Well, there's at least a couple more times on this record where he does something like that with the Mary Queen of Scots and then yeah. it's like, well, you can be wrong about people sometimes. We'll get to that later when we I, get well, to that song. Well, the, the point is, is he's putting her up on a pedestal, right? And it, and it's and that's dangerous. Yeah. And it's it's also it's the folly of youth, right there. I can speak to experience a okay, little well bit on that. Put, yeah. You know, it, it when you're not taking care of your own shit and you really fall in love with someone and you're very young, at least speaking for me a little bit, when I, I was like twenty something and was in a relationship that it ultimately failed. Because I put, every, I thought I was putting everything into that relationship, but I wasn't taking care of any business with myself. Right, yeah. and that that's also backfired on me in other ways later on. But <laughs> point being, when it's when it's happened later on, it wasn't because I was hyper focused on one person. And when you or when you're hyper focused on one person, the way these people are on each other, it's just it's disaster. Mm-hmm. And then you mix in like whatever illicit substances that they're clearly taking i mean it's it's you know it's crazy that's what and but that's why it's fun yeah fun? <laughs> uh, sure I, I the only other thing i want to bring bring up uh what's that just that that i like that he's kind of, there it shows that he's a, kind of a glutton for punishment in this song yeah she treats me like i'm a fool but to me she's still my a german queen that like i just i just love that line He's he's all about like just like a just taking the abuse and kidding himself. Right. It's it's really it's it's an amazing song. I again the flutes. I I can't say enough nice things about the flute work of this yeah. this album. <laughs> and just like and like how like upbeat this song is for like being so like nasty at the same time. Right. right. There's a lot of that. I mean, just all around, this isn't one of those records. It's it's very no. much like a he's a monster songwriter on this record, but it's not. The cool, calm, collected kind of that we're used to. No, this is a, this is the sweatiest I think he's been so far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there there is there's nothing really cool about him on this one. I mean, cool in the sense that it's it's kind of cool that he just is just so like putting his heart out there right. and and like and yeah. just like just the most heart on his sleeve that maybe he gets in his entire career. I mean, we'll have to go through it. To my mind, I think I think this is like just one of the most raw he rawest uh, albums he's ever put out yeah putting it all out there really. yeah yeah and like for good or for good or worse you know it's just that's what it is and then uh should we move on to how do you think it feels track number five how do you think it feels this is this one i don't have a lot to say except that it's just it's just a major like burnout this is the, the if you're, there's, there's an anthem on this album this is the one it's a burnout anthem yeah it's it, an addiction song yeah. definitely and it has that great guitar solo oh it's fantastic it's really it rips really well done it's yeah that's uh i believe a uh, dick wagner or, or steve hunter steve hunter i think it would be dick wagner yeah but i could be wrong it's that 
but I'll double check. At, at any rate, like those guys like, hang out like for the uh, the live tour, and it's just it's just amazing. Just just I love the line. Uh, How do you think it feels when you're speeding and lonely? How do you think it feels when all you can say is if only, if only I had a little, if only I had some change, if only, if only, if only. How do you think it feels, and when do you think it stops? That applies to addiction. That's that whole first verse. Yeah. And but like that applies to addiction. But like I also, I know I've said that to myself a million times right. in other contexts. Just that like, eh, if, if my life was this much different, everything would be would be in, would fall into place. And those people that haven't dealt with addiction in their lives, I mean, it's a window into just how low you can be. Yeah. And I uh, in that kind of situation. And full disclosure, I. I I've had people in my life that have struggled with it. I still know people that struggle with it, but like I have not not been on that level. So I am on the outside looking in on like a lot of things. I don't know how qualified I am to do any of this. Yeah, let's just put that out there right now. Uh, I'm just a mailman, guys. <laughs> Mail carrier. Mail carrier. Excuse me. You're right. But yeah, this this song rips. It's it's ugly. It's it's this is where the, it rocks. Yeah, it, it rocks, and uh, it's, it's also. Yeah, just a deep addiction song. Track number six. Oh, Jim. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, get your uh, pencils out, because this is the beginning of the two-bit count. Two-bit. You get two bits in this song alone, but like that that's thats a phrase that like comes up quite a few times. At it least will. Next. On the next studio album we'll yeah. cover, there's going to be some two-bit psychiatrists. we yeah. got two-bit friends two here. Two-bit friends. But all right up right from the beginning, all your two bit friends they shooting you up with pills. Mm-hmm. It's right there. They said it was good for you that it would cure cure your ills. That's pretty. It, and then it, and then it he does it again in the second verse. When you're looking through the eyes of hate, all your two bit friends they asked you for your autograph. Yeah, it's really cool. That's probably coming from well, not probably. That's coming from a real place. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, this one is. This one is like a song in two parts as well. So speaking of right. two bits, because it starts off more of the rocker, it really builds to a crescendo, and then like the second half is the sadder acoustic. Yeah, acoustic, it's acoustic, very simple rock and roll blues based outro, basically. Yeah, and then then when you're looking through the eyes of hate, because he is talking about domestic abuse theme earlier in the song. Mm-hmm. Just that as an outro is like the final repeated phrase when you're looking through the eyes of hate. Now it's no excuse for that kind of violence, but it's it's an interesting take. Yeah, it's, again, perhaps what made him do what he did, or, or again, what he's feeling like. Well, like th- this is also this is Jim the character. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not, oh yeah, <laughs> not my make... podcast partner. <laughs> I will. I wanted to say this is kind of where the uh, album really starts to take a turn, just before you flip the record over proper, because this is the last song on the right. first side. But uh, don't you know you got to get it straight? filled up to here with hate beat her black and blue and, and get it straight that that line right there it's ugly it's it's uh talking about some real the the real heinous shit like you were saying but i also think uh this is like a like a thing where it's also like jim uh, giving away his hand a little bit because he's angry at Cal- caroline for uh being cold and uh running around but it's also imply starting to imply that like uh He's also uh, running around himself. The The line there is, uh, Now that you said you loved us, but you only made love to one of us. Oh, 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 Jim. How could you treat me this way? I mean, it's like, they're, 
they're they're mess. They're they're a mess of a couple. That's that's where this song. Yeah, they at. are no good for. They can both do better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But I but I don't think either one either one of them. They like, won't. They yeah. they just won't. Now, um, I think it's after this track on the eight track and cassette tape releases of this album. There was an extra track of just piano on its own. I'm guessing that's because the way programs are set up on eight track, they have to be a certain length for the tape to skip over. Look, you can you can Google eight track tapes. Uh, I still haven't even listened to this actually. Yeah, that that's something I I, I have to uh, hear. Probably on there. YouTube, the biggest bootlegger in the world. Oh sure, would have it. I'm sure. I thought it was interesting. All the vinyl reissues and stuff like that don't have the track on it. But as far as the vinyl and CD and digital streaming copies of it, it skips that and goes right to track seven. Caroline says two. I I. I I. <laughs> Caroline says I I. This was uh, originally Stephanie says yeah. on the Velvet Underground demo and as an early draft. And uh, this is also the one that, like, uh, I guess the the main thing that t- the takeaway is that it, it highlights finally what I was saying earlier about having hyper focus on one person right. is a recipe for a disaster. The line I want to like call out here, Caroline says as she makes up her eye, which has been bruised by Jim. Right. There, you ought to learn more about yourself. Think more than just I. There it is, right there. Yeah, it's what like you were just talking about yeah, the last. Yeah, time. it's yeah. and it's it, that this one for whatever reason it really it hit me on this list and really this whole second side just sort of ripped me in half. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard this record for like seventeen years, something like that now. Mm-hmm. Like I've I don't go back to it a lot, but I've 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 heard I I always have like mixes of Lou Reed songs like going going by like and. I some I seldom listen to this album beginning to end, but like, and it's it's been a while since I really did it. But for purposes of this podcast, I've listened to this album like maybe twenty times. Yeah, just to like really like hyper focus into it. And yeah, I'm around there too. Myself. Yeah, and just yesterday before we decided to do this this end of recording, like it just it struck me in a way it hadn't hit me before. Like I really got wrapped up in the story, and this song is really it's because it. The production again, just fanta- fantastic. The piano is so good on this song, mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's a cruel, sad song of, of about abuse and not fixing your your own bad behavior beyond just in in your own mind. It's just it's sick minds doing sick things. Yeah, others they mentioned taking speed in it, so we know what kind of drugs they were involved with. This is the point where Caroline says, "I don't love you anymore," to Jim. And also the line, she's not afraid to die, is foreshadowing what's going yeah. to happen in a few tracks uh, later in the record. But then uh, there's, there's a the... little device where she put her fist right through the window pane, and then you hear like a, um, some bells or some kind of like wind chimes going. Yeah. I'm always a fan of stuff like that. One off the top of my head I can think of is like um, in that Rolling Stones song, Do 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 song or Heartbreaker. The do 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 do. There's a line where she's sticking needles in her arm, and then the, the Hammond organ goes, you know, it's. Do you have the name? Stuff we're in the lyrics. I'm trying to think what song you're talking about. I'm sorry. I think it's actually spelled out like D O O D O O. Oh, I, I, I like that's that's it's got a, a horn section and it. it's great. But it's uh, a track I'm not immediately recalling right. Anyways, now. when the lyrics in the song and then something musically happens that sure. centers around. Yeah, that. I'm it, always a fan of that. Esrin's really good with that about that stuff. Yeah, yeah like I would, I guess uh, the wall because that's like sort of more fresh in my mind. Just uh, the song like Hey You 
just like the way like he he arranged that song like that has like a, has little uh like machinery little, noises and yeah stuff. machine yeah. machine noises just knowing how to like uh get like the screams in there at the right point right like it's it's he's really good at arrangements yeah he seems like somebody that sees the bigger picture before it's pieced together yeah you know? yeah and it's a lot of layers on that pink floyd stuff yeah <laughs> It, it, and but and this and this record, it's I, I think yeah. he, he like I'm sure he gets the credit now, but at the time he certainly did not. Um, and then with uh, I mean Stephanie says by Velvet Underground, I've always had a connection with that song. I guess it was on a cassette tape. I think it was the very best of Velvet Underground or mm-hmm. best of Velvet Underground. It's a tape I had in my car when I was a kid. You know, that was in the car for for years. So listening to this record, I'm always comparing it to Stephanie says. But now, like I, after hearing it so many times, it's become its own thing, and yeah. and I can separate the two. But something about Stephanie says it's almost like the toy piano intro and everything. It's just very in the strings. Yeah, and then the, the very uh, haunting. The, and then oh, I believe it's uh, Doug Yule, I think, probably singing in the background on that song. Mm-hmm. The so, higher register. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's which it's, is absent on this version, right? And it, you wouldn't want it here anyway, right? So like that, the the basic line that like carries over from Stephanie says over to this song is it's so cold in Alaska, right? Which like all her friends had called her, nicknamed her Alaska. Right. Cold, I mean, that could symbolize death. It could symbolize just her coldness, her cold demeanor. Gym. I mean, like it's yeah, everything. Or just like earlier walking down the street staring at her shoes. I mean, it could yeah. it could mean a few things here. But since the lyric was already written years ago. It's a good line. He says you can't reuse it. You know, he's, right? The, he's Lou doesn't seem that. to throw anything away. Right, right. <laughs> For good or worse. <laughs> God, what doesn't he keep? No. I'm sorry, Lou. I'm just kidding around. <laughs> Moving along, track number eight, "The Kids." This is the hardest track to listen to in the entire album. Just like yeah, physically. I mean, I've read that when I was doing research, but I think it's true. Yeah, it's it because it just breaks down into like. A mess by the With end the of drug it. use, the promiscuity or pr- prostitution, even, and just uh, that that Betty Cronstead was taken by the state from her uh, parent at, yeah, at she, age five. She was only five years old. It was kind of like co-opting her experience for a song yeah. on his record. Betty I'm sure was, she wasn't too happy. No, she was furious. Yeah, and it was like one of the when she found out when uh what he was doing with a lot of this record while in the middle of uh, making making this album while recording it. She actually tried to get a quickie divorce, like, immediately. And then Lou talked her down for a while, but before, like, the fall, they, they finally split up. So what's going on here is um, the state is taking away her kids. Yeah. And I read online sons. I don't know if it specifically says sons. Well, I mean, they're two boys that, like, they're Ezrin's kids that are screaming right. on this album. They were, like, so, five and one, I Yeah, think. so they are boys. So, like, I mean, it makes it just as... For the sake of argument, right, like boys, like because that's what you're hearing is this, the sound of young boys screaming. Now the rumor was that uh, in the studio, Bob Ezrin had told his two sons that their mother had died. Yeah, and that's why they're screaming and and, I, and crying. I've heard and three, yelling for their mother. Yeah, I've heard three which different is versions. Really horrible for the sake <laughs> of art, but he said multiple times that it's untrue. He just said that it was time for bed, and they're really upset. Yeah, I've also heard that he said like, "Hey guys, I I need you to act this out." Like uh, this is just acting, kids, and then the the older one started screaming, and then the very young one heard his brother screaming, and then just joined in okay. with the cacophony. I mean, like it's the the truth is somewhere in there. Whatever it's the result, creepy and haunting. It's and, it's it's ugh. insanely haunting. Yeah. And then with the weird, it, it, the flute is there again, but it's like mm-hmm. it's way atonal by the end, and it's it's just it's it's just jarring. 
Now, did you get there's a reference to the water boy? <laughs> not that water boy. Oh. Not the Sandman. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, 25 years later, Adam Sandler would make a really terrible movie called The Water Boy. The Water Boy. Uh, in fact, the am, water. Yeah, in Philly, we call it The Water Boy. I don't know if I've already said uh, Watergate or Watergate. Watergate. I mean, I'm sorry, it's the, the Philly in us that's going to come out every so often. So, like, if I say that wrong, you know, you got me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, the water boy, I, t- I, I was something I was thinking about too. It's, uh, I just assume that you know what I assume with this song. I think he ratted her out. I think he ratted Carolyn out to the state. Oh, that is interesting because yeah. there is a line that says, "I am much happier this way." Well, the whole thing is, it's like he's saying, "Like I am the water boy," meaning like maybe he's crying about this, but he's he's just so cold. It's it's thing. It's like he lists a a, a mess of grievances yeah. here. All right, like. They're take here in the second 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 uh, verse. They're taking their ch- her children away because they said she was not a good mother. They're taking her children away because of the things that they heard she had done. Who told them? The black Air Force sergeant was not the first one, and all the drugs she took. Everyone, everyone. And then it goes into and I am the water boy. The real game's not over here, but my heart is overflowing anyway. I'm just a tired man, no words to say. But since she lost her daughter, it's her eyes that fill with water, and I am much happier this way. So maybe she had a daughter. I mean, like it's like or like a daughter, a son. But it's it's boys you're hearing on the record. Yeah, a lot of the research I was doing online seemed like writers were assuming a lot of things. Yeah, I'm like, there's not a. It's not like a rap song where there's a lot of lyrics. No, and it was also these are like things that would have been filled out by a movie. Like the Pink, sure. like the Pink Floyd, the Wall Something movie, visual, yeah. you know, it, it filled in a lot of stuff that I was curious about for years until I finally watched that movie, and I'm sure they would have filled in more gaps there. But I don't really need like the whole story completely told. It's it's the imagery that like gets gets me with this one. Yeah, and then he talks about the Welshman in there. It's like maybe a reference to John Cale. I mean, I don't know how many Welshmen were in his life. But I mean, like and it's a possibility, he, but I mean, like, I mean we he can't was talk hot. He is thing. hot and cold with like with everybody in his life. <laughs> yeah, and off let, and on. Just just the year before, he would, he played a show with John Cale and Nico, but that was yesterday, man. And he's a completely different person than when he right. was in June of '72 when he did that show versus where he is in june july of 73 when he's making this record yeah from record to record there's just such major differences it's like an entirely different artist he's yeah he becomes a different person because he's he's screwed up he's completely screwed up yeah and that what's great is you're capturing this this moment kind of completely unfiltered right and and that's that's really what's remarkable there's like and also in an era where they they would censor things like way way less it's just, it's really remarkable what's on this album. And this, this song's ugly as shit. Yeah. The, the, the kids. It's, it's wonderful. It, it's just, it's bitter. Just like the way he just even says that cheap, rotten slut. The way he says that. Just like kind of spits it out of his mouth. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cold. It's a cold song. And it, it's really, really hard to listen to. And then. The, in the listen yesterday, just yeah, this ain't no bubblegum pop, kids. No, yeah, I'm sorry. You're, you're, this ain't your two bit. Uh... <laughs> this ain't your two bit walk in the wild side over here. <laughs> this ain't no walk in the wild side in the park, kids. <laughs> Let's see what sticks. This is an this is an imperfect day. <laughs> How many more of these songs? I don't ruin? know. I'm not good at this. <laughs>
All right. Enough fun and games. Let's yeah. get to track nine, The Bed. Yeah, the happiest song in the record. Uh, the suicide, the suicide yeah, this song. this is the suicide of Caroline. Yeah. Um, there's some really biting lyrics in it, like, this is the place our children were conceived, and now you've uh, cut your wrists in that place. And then Jim, you know, he wishes it hadn't ended up this way, but he's not at all sad, he says in the lyrics. No. I also, I meant to... I've been like, how much more apathetic can this guy get? It's, he, like, ridiculous. He, he's a cold bastard. It's like... He and he's wa- sick on drugs. We know yeah, that, he so walked... Yeah. Like, the vision I have is he just walked in on the scene, like, it all sort of hits him all at once. Mm-hmm. And then it's... And he might be drugged out of his yeah, mind yeah, when he finds it. At, yeah. Almost, at, almost certainly. Yeah. And then he's taking it all in, and, like, and he's, like, it's... it's just, He's just seeing, seeing the vision, and, and that's why it's, like, oh, what a feeling... But then he says, like, but funny thing, I'm not at all sad that it turned out this way. It's just, it's a cold response. That's that, oh, what a feeling. Almost when you see something so, like, insanely violent or horrible, like, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. You know? Like, when you see a lot of real blood, it doesn't seem no. like a movie, you know, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably, probably part of what's that. going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good, that's a really good uh, call on that. I just want to say, like, the, uh, the, the album art, like if you ever you definitely get the record proper yeah. for this because every song has its own photo accompanying it with it right that actually since there was never a movie you sort of like it actually does help to like really what look at the photos and listen to the songs and read the lyrics along with the thing it's yeah it's almost it's, it's not like storyboarding it but it's it, kind of it, like it gives a little you know like an expert photograph of what you know, maybe is behind the song. It's pretty great. And then the, the photo for this one especially is great because it's just, you see the bed and what, what is the, like the coloring on the, on this record? It's like kind of like a, a very greenish tint. Yeah. Like a green, it's almost like, like money, that yeah. kind of green color. But then there's some red. Yeah. Uh, the, on like, the bed. It looks like it's drawn on with a red pen or a but it's pen. But it works. Yeah. Like if, even if it was like that cheaply, like just sort of, they, somebody just scribbled on there, it really works. It really for does. It's, yeah. it's disturbing. We'll post on our Instagram when we post this episode. Yeah. It's about 10 tracks. It's probably 10 pictures. You can yeah. put 10 pictures on Instagram. Yeah, there you so go. That'll work. It was meant to be. So yeah, we'll share some of that art with you because um, I have an original. I just, I probably picked it up at a flea market years ago. And, you know, like we said, I think I may have said earlier, first couple listens, I was like, eh, this one isn't for me. But I did like Men of Good Fortune. I put that on a couple mixtapes as a young man. Yeah, I was going into this. I'm really glad we uh, revisited this. I was going into this thinking I was going to have to, like, kind of fight you on this one. I'm not crazy about that one. Let's just just like like, it's like Because to me, like Transformer, there isn't a bad song on this album. Right, yeah, yeah. They're tough songs, for sure, but, like, it's, it's it's, it's another, like, it's a banger of a, of a record in its own weird, twisted way. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, just the background singers on this song uh-huh. are wonderful, and then the way the song ends with them, like, I don't know, harmonizing, like, eerie ghosts, like, her yeah. Caroline spirits leaving her body. It exactly has that vibe. Yeah, yeah. it's, it, it, it gave me chills. Like, it's given me chills before, but especially on this Le- most recent listen I've given to this record, it was like it was too much. Yeah, what I've noticed on the few times we listened to one of these records, when knowing we're going to talk for over an hour about it uh, before we edit everything down yeah. and all that, and then sometimes multiple times over the course of two weeks to record one, it's just like you're really listening for things, not so much hearing things that aren't there, but it's fu- you know listening to every little thing you can. Yeah, and making sure you don't want to miss anything, which we probably will anyway. No, we I mean in- inevitably, but. I, I like the honest like uh, assessment 
idea of this of this podcast. So hopefully you do too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll find out. Okay, and track ten, the closing song is aptly named "Sad Song." Uh, this is one. The very first time it hit me yesterday that I think uh, Jim ODs at the end of this song. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, that, that that's a take time. I've never had before. It's just this is one I like yesterday. It just hit me by the end of the song. That's I th- possibility, I th- definitely. I mean, like it's the content once again. It's like he is he's as cold as ever. Right. I mean, which is just amazing because the again the lyrics are so cold, but the music could not be more floaty and elevated yeah. and amazingly it's, it's definitely, upbeat. Um, weirdly, it's like happy melodies going on. It's like or- orchestral. Yeah. It's a major scale, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this the guitar, the electric guitar work, just right. fantastic. So uh, Jim's looking at old photographs of Caroline in his picture book, and he says a lot. She seems very regal to me. Goes to show how wrong you can be. It's like he's... you think he'd be more upset about his partner's passing, but yeah. it's, he's the same as it ever was with this guy. He's just kind of apathetic about everything. Yeah, I, and because I did not finish college and not very smart, uh, I've always heard him say, she looked like Mary, Queen of Scots. So who was Mary, Queen of Scots? Well, oh. let's go to Wikipedia. Oh, okay, <laughs> let us know. Mary, Queen of Scots, born December 8th, 1542 died 8th of february 1587 was mary stewart mary the first of scotland queen of scotland she was uh, until uh, her from 1542 until her forced abdication in 1567 mm. there's a lot blah 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 a lot of things happened uh she was actually sort of progressive for the era why well, i think that that's the gist of it what i got and then she was locked away into a tower for a very long time for about oh. 18 years and then they chopped her head off Oh boy! Really sad life. <laughs> so actually, apt comparison. I mean, yeah. and the, and she's been her portrait has been done like all over, and right, right. a lot of references to her. I was going through like references of Mary of Mary Queen of Scots. A lot of different ones. Lou Reed made the cut on Wikipedia, guys. There you go. He's part. He's part of the Mary Queen of Scots history. Anyway, that's not a very informative thing, but it was kind of informative to me because. I, I didn't know. This up. I didn't know shit about shit. <laughs> oh, I looked up what that, uh, that fortified wine was earlier. In you this did. Album. You, I mean, you, I'm good for we, something. We both we both did our job this week, Paul. Uh, there was another line in this. It's not very funny, but uh, somebody else would have broken her both her arms. Like, oh my! What is he? Oh, because you're showing restraint when you be. It's like God. That, he's that's so the ridiculous. thing. It's just like he's like, look, I, I'm the good guy over here because, like, you know, I only blackened her eyes, I dude. Been so much worse. Yeah, because you know, I mean, she like, was Christ, so bad. I mean, she was she was like a horrible person, and like you know, like you know, it doesn't like she was a tramp, she was a whore. Like, who gives a shit? It's like, so what? Like, Put in Get that put it, in bro. that line of Ralphie Cifaretto and Sopranos. First of all, she was a hua. Oh, like that boy. that sort of thing. That's like the attitude that this dude has. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's wretched, but it's it's just very, very telling. It's just the thing is, you don't hear any comeuppance, you don't hear any remorse, and it just it it just it's disturbing. Yeah. And, it, and it's it disturbed a lot of a lot of uh, listeners, and especially the critics back then, right? Like yeah. it just they, it rubbed them all the wrong way. Um, it's a great closer because it sums up the entire story we just went over. It's just a sad song, yeah. One long, 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 sad, sad, sad yeah. song, and it's just edited together expertly by yeah. Ezrin and uh, you know everybody involved. Just it was a thing where Ezrin spent sixteen to twenty hours 
work days working on this record, wow. like trying to get get the edits down. That's that's kind of what drove him crazy. He said like that he would go home. Oh, and he said he, it was a traumatic experience. Yeah, he for said him. he went home yeah. and started throwing things around the house, and he'd never done that before. Right. And he he checked himself into a mental health facility for a little while to try to get his. That I didn't hear. Wow, because yeah. it's PTSD when you're going through. It kind of was, and he never worked with Lou Reed again. Yeah, I mean, like it was just it was that it was that that like Alice intense. Cooper is a breeze Al- to work with. Al- he, well, I've always heard as a super nice guy. He well, he said as much. He was like with Alice Cooper and Lou Reed, they couldn't be more different because Alice Cooper wears makeup, but it's just that's just a stage show. Yeah. It's just the act. And, and he like, was an alcoholic back in the and, day. Yeah, but. but like when it comes to Alice Cooper, that's like a hamburger. Whereas Lou Reed, it's artist his words artist with a capital a yeah and it's just and lose a completely different animal altogether a rock and roll animal if you will there you go and but he was a monster at this at this time period yeah just in his personal life and you know just if, if we're saying jim is based on someone on himself it, oh yeah it's just not a great guy it's nah. just and i think this album is is great is a great way to work through a lot of that pain but it wasn't it wasn't the full way to work through all of it yeah. but like he does sort of loosen up and become like as the 70s goes on he will become like a slightly less like insufferable piece of shit right, right. but this this whole year tough guy to be around yeah. by, by all accounts and this record not for everybody folks it's no you know, but like a lot I, of people won't like it and still, i th- i really i really think if uh if you've enjoyed lou reed and like this is uh this is now more like not to start with, but like no. it's. But if you've like heard it before, but haven't heard it in a while, give it another listen. Right. Give it a couple more listens because I I think it just it connect it connected with me certainly, and I've I've known this album like I said for years, but it's just it's one it's one of his best yeah for sure, and he would have said right away like back then that he he was very proud of it despite like all the negative attention that the the uh, record got he was he was proud of it then and he remained proud of it. Yeah, he would have said something like, oh, Berlin. Berlin was everything. <laughs> something like that. I still don't have a good impression. I'm working on it. but it's... I'm not even trying right now. Yeah, okay. We'll get there. We only got we got plenty of albums, no, plenty we, more episodes. We, we've done three out of 22 studio records. Oh, God. But next time <laughs> on Talkin' Lou, we are going to take a break from the studio records to dive into the uh, big rock and roll animal live album and the accompanying follow-up record from the same show so yeah. it's rock and roll animal and lou reed live those are the those are the next albums we're covering so that'll be episode four we will see you then all right until then we're talking over here <laughs> talking low <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please tell all your friends and give us a positive review on iTunes. If we missed something you think we should have covered, please send us a DM on Instagram. We're at Destroy All Radio Inc. I-N-C. And uh, let us know, and we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Talkin' Lou is brought to you by Destroy All Radio Inc.